Africa Calling, a bi-monthly podcast with sound-rich reports from our correspondents on the continent. African Voices reporting on African stories produced by Radio France International. Hello and welcome to Season 3, Episode 1 of the Africa Calling podcast on October 28, 2022. I'm Laura Angela Bagnetto. We have a number of interesting stories from our correspondents on the African continent this week. In this episode, our correspondent in Nigeria takes a look at how difficult it's been for students and parents during the university lecturer strike. Our Kenya correspondent talks to mothers and professionals about health disorders in children. And in Sudan, we have a report on how bicycling as a form of sport and transportation also becomes a form of protest for young women in Khartoum. And finally, don't forget our special song at the end. Africa Calling. In Nigeria, students in public universities are finally packing their bags to return to school after an eight-month break due to striking lecturers. From February 14th to August 14th, Nigerian public universities were shut down and students were sent home. The lecturers, under the umbrella body of Academic Staff Union of Universities, or the ASUU, accused the government of failing to fix the deep-seated problem of financing and even respect for their employees. Students also complained of being the victims in the war between the government and the lecturers. In this report, Polum David gives us a clearer picture of the effects of the strike. These words have in the past few months remained on the lips of students of Nigerian public universities. Anger and rage filled the air as they protested against the prolonged strike action embarked upon by the Academic Staff Union of Universities, popularly referred to as ASU. These academic staff down tools since February 14th this year. But thankfully, eight months after, the strike was conditionally suspended. The big question is, why do these lecturers always embark on strikes? Emmanuel Osodeke, chairman of ASU, the Lecturers' Union, says the government isn't serious about education. We have industrial dispute with the Federal Republic of Nigeria on about seven issues. Revitalization fund, in academic allowance, renegotiation, deployment of UTAS, proliferation of universities, release of the report of the strong panel, amongst others. So we believe that the government have enough money if they are really serious about education on how to resolve this issue for the benefit of these children to enable this university attract the best brain from all over the world to teach our children and will have the best quality of education, one of the best in the world. The lecturers say the walking out of classrooms is a sacrifice they have to make for generations to come in order to mend Nigeria's broken educational system. But the government feels the lecturers are overreacting. Nigeria's President Mohamed Buhari believes the government alone cannot provide the resources required for funding tertiary education. He said it's imperative to introduce a more sustainable model of funding the universities in addition to government funds. The government notes was, was, was dismay. The crisis that has paralyzed activities in the public universities in the country. We expect the staff of these institutions to show a better appreciation of the current state of affairs 
in the country. In the determined effort to resolve the issue, we have provided a total of 470 billion Naira in the 2023 budget from our constrained resources for revitalization and salary enhancements in the tertiary institutions. But while the president's plan is in the budget for next year, Nigeria's Minister of Education, Adamo Adamo, evoked the no work, no pay rule to scare lecturers back to work. There is a law which says if there is no work, there will be no pay for it. I believe this will be a very strong element that will deter many from going on strike. Chris Ingigi, Minister of Labor and Employment, said the lecturers' union could have continued dialogue with the government while still in classrooms. We are interested in our children going back to school. And if ASU want to comply with the labor laws of the country, the land, they should have stayed back to work while we are doing all this. In September, Ingege dragged ASU to court, demanding the court order ASU to call off the strike while negotiations continue. But again, ASU President Emmanuel Sodeke said forcing them back to classrooms would not be the best solution. How many of those lecturers are going to use their mind and will to teach courses the way they should teach them? Who will lose? This country will lose. So instead of resolving issues, you are going to court. So those basically are the issues and our appeal that we are willing to call on this strike any day. In July, Union of Lecturers, alongside other labor unions, had a peaceful protest to register their displeasure over the poor handling of tertiary education issues. But in all, while these big elephants are fighting, the grass is suffering. The students were at the receiving end. Different unions in Nigeria embark on strike once in a while, at most one or two weeks. But whenever lecturers embark on strike, it could span up to a year. University strikes are very common in Nigeria. It could be considered an annual ritual. ASO has embarked on these type of long strikes 14 times in the last two decades. Data from the Nigerian University Commission shows that there are over 100 public universities in Nigeria and over 2.1 million students attend these schools. Children of Nigerian elites mostly attend foreign schools or expensive private universities. So, public universities where all the strikes action take place have been left for children of the lower class because tuition fees there are way more affordable. These strikes have had a lasting effect on students' lives. Some have had to hustle to make a living while others have gotten pregnant. Rhoda James, a student, says incessant strikes have turned a five-year course into seven years and counting. It has stopped a whole lot of things, a whole lot of plans that I have, I had for myself. Now I have to start replanning and everything. Just many two months for me to finish. See, Aso. Two months down to six months, seven months and counting. We pray that it will not happen, it will not continue like that. Grace Adams, who is in her third year at Usman Danfordia University, Sokoto State, says she started her own business during the strike. Now, she's torn between giving up her business and going back to school. We are supposed to be done with school. 
probably use our certificate to get a job and and also improve our businesses but right about now we don't have no direction because if we start business we start our businesses and then they call back we have to return to school and we'll not be able to Putting the business in someone else's hand, we don't know how it will work. While students are complaining, Nigeria's education minister, Adamo Adamo, argues that this strike has had a ripple effect throughout the country. I think we are all hit by, by this, um, perhaps because they have to spend an extra year or extra two years, you could say they are worse hit, but it's a national problem. And I think the, if, you, if you had a chance or the capacity to measure the effect of that on the economy, you'll find that economy is also a victim. Parents are also feeling the hits. Abdul Jalil Adebayo, whose son lives off campus while in school, tells Africa Calling he's been paying rent for his son's accommodation to safeguard his property, even though academic sessions were halted. Touching my post, last year the rent expired, I paid. He didn't stay two months again. This one, the rent has expired, August. I have to pay another one. Uh, they should think of the parents as well now. Selina, Adebayo's wife, also doesn't feel good about the situation. It's really, really bad. You send a child to school and expect that in the next four years, the child should be out and they're almost 25 years and the child is not out. Nobody likes things like that. Indeed, nobody likes the sad reality in Nigeria's educational sector. With the suspension of the strike, there seems to be light at the end of the tunnel. Nigerians are optimistic that the government will genuinely do what it takes to finally place Nigerian public universities in a world-class level and at least bring an end to lecturers' continuous struggle for an improved learning environment and better pay. Reporting for Africa Calling, this is Pauline David in Abuja, Nigeria. Africa Calling, produced by Radio France International. In Kenya. Health officials are drawing attention to children in informal settlements afflicted with health disorders as numbers continue to rise. Health experts say the lack of awareness, poverty, and inability to diagnose the diseases early is a factor. A disorder is an illness that disrupts normal physical or mental functions of the body. Our correspondent, Victor Maturi, has prepared the following report from Nairobi. At Fuatanyayo slums located east of Kenya's capital, Nairobi, Rosalie Harvey is preparing her ailing daughter, Rebecca, to go to Songambele Namasomo Therapy Center. Rebecca has been living with hydrocephalus since she was born eight years ago. Hydrocephalus, a condition in which fluid accumulates in the brain, typically affects young children, enlarging the head and sometimes causing brain damage. Rebecca Nilimza, normal. After three months and a half, I gave birth to Rebecca normally, but after three and a half months, her head started swelling and I took her to Kenyatta National Hospital. I was told she's suffering from hydrocephalus, but she wasn't treated. My friend advised me to try Kijabe Hospital and I took her there. And after one week, she underwent head surgery, but after one month, her head swelled again. The catheter which was inserted affected her bladder, so we stayed in the hospital for three months. While hydrocephalus can be genetically inherited, lack of proper medication and checkups during her pregnancy was the major cause of the disease on a child. 
Lehavi says her life has not been easy since Rebecca was born. The doctor said that I lacked some minerals like folic acid in my body that caused my child to have hydrocephalus. I wasn't given folic acid tablets. The doctor said that if I had used them, Rebecca would not have been born like that. My second child is healthy because I used folic acid tablets when I was pregnant. We are currently continuing with therapy for Rebecca. But the problem is, her legs aren't strong, but she can sit and eat, but she can't walk well. She needs special shoes, and I'm not able to buy them. That's the situation I'm in. A few kilometers from Lihavi's home, parents whose children need additional care are dropping them off at Songambele Rehabilitation Center. It is a special facility which serves children from Kuru slums who have special conditions such as autism, cerebral palsy, hyperactive disorder, and delayed speeches. Lydia Kerubo is a mother to five years old Crisantos Mainye who is living with cerebral palsy, a condition marked by impaired muscle coordination which is commonly caused by damage to the brain before or at birth. It was a long delivery and the child was born when I was tired out. He was placed in the nursery and they said he had many diseases including meningitis. They tried to treat him, and after nine months, the child was still not sitting, and even his teeth hadn't come in. I started attending clinics, and they told me he has cerebral palsy. I was directed to a special clinic, and they gave him medication. At the time, I was in our rural home in Kisi, and I was told here in Nairobi there's a special school for such conditions. Since we've joined the Songambele Center, my child's condition has improved. An award, mother to 12-year-old Randy Onyango, says she had to take personal initiative to take care for her son after her husband abandoned them over claims of witchcraft. Randy is living with autism. The doctor said he has autism and I found out when he was two years old. He does things that other children don't do. He becomes hyper and fights. Now he's improving a lot because he didn't know how to speak, but now he can speak. He didn't know how to play with friends and now he can play. His father left us saying that it is our witchcraft and he always called the child crazy. I can tell him that it's not witchcraft, nor is it madness. It's a condition we can control. Families living with disorders, especially those in informal settlements, are facing challenges such as lack of proper medication, lack of early diagnosis of diseases, social isolation, stigma and discrimination. Merklin, the director at Songamele Namasomo Center within Mkulu Slums, attributes this to lack of proper information and that our center works to help the poorest. We receive a lot of children suffering from cerebral palsy or from other birth accidents or delayed birth because our parents from Mukuru slums, they don't have money and everywhere you go now for health you have to have money and there are some people who kindly help them, Linda Mama, there are some efforts around where kind people help them to have the money to go and deliver but the kind of facility they go to sometimes they don't help them in time 
Then during COVID, we had a lot of very young girls got pregnant, girls of 12, 13. And these girls, their body is not properly developed to give birth. So when they're giving birth, they realize their muscles are not properly formed. They take too long to give birth and the child has brain damage. Among the children here, the most common disability we have is from brain damage, either cerebral palsy or some other type of brain damage. We educate them as much as we can and develop them as much as we can. We have physiotherapists, occupational therapists, and we have teachers. We're still missing a therapist for speech and for hearing, because in Kenya they're very rare. We hope maybe we'll get a volunteer from France. Data from the Nairobi Urban Health and Demographic Surveillance System shows that some conditions and diseases increase in informal settlements every year, nor is there a budget to curb such ailments. According to Bonfess Mwangi Njoroge, a clinical officer at Mary Immaculate Hospital, some of the disorders are lifetime conditions and not easy to treat. He says early treatment during pregnancy can help reduce most cases. These rare cases, some of them are lifetime. Like for example, a case like hydrocephalus, most of them do not get to, to adulthood. But other cases like um, cerebral palsy, with adequate physiotherapy, occupational therapy, they do quite well. I've had mothers say that if the pregnancy is one month, two months old, it is still early to begin the clinic, but it is important to, to begin your antenatal clinic as early as possible so that the necessary tasks can be done and so that you can be initiated on the medications that will help sustain your pregnancy and also help the, the children from getting some of this malformation. Those antenatal checkups are very important. Those mothers who have given birth and they have children who, are, who have these special needs, they should not hide them from their houses. Let them come out and, uh, and seek for help. Six years ago, the government of Kenya introduced the Big Four Agenda, which included universal health coverage. Special medical conditions and diseases seems to be left out of the equation as care for the poorest in the country, says Kennedy Kipchumba, a medical expert at Lengo Hospital in Nairobi. Most of these people are living below a dollar, so they even they cannot afford to go to a facility like uh, Lengo Medical Clinic. Some of these conditions, there are those people who have genetic factors. If you can check with their DNA, you'll be getting they have those abnormal genes. When mothers are pregnant, they are supposed to attend uh, antenatal visits for the doctor or the nurse to check any abnormalities. Another thing I can say is maybe the community is not empowered. The government of the day, maybe we should give health education on rare diseases so that we'll be talking to these mothers. We have supplements that we normally give when these women are pregnant. These women are coming to the facility when they are either two for delivery or approaching the last terms of pregnancy from six months to nine months. So you cannot correct. That's why we are pressurizing the government so that we can get to the diagnostic test. If we can do it like that, we can correct. As Kenya's poorest mothers continue to face health care challenges and for those who have special needs children, they are calling on the government to improve health services, especially in informal settlement, to curb such diseases. Reporting for Arafai's Africa Calling, this is Victor Muturi in Mukuru Slums, Nairobi, Kenya. Check us out on Twitter, Africa underscore underscore calling. We're at Africa underscore underscore calling. 
In Sudan, societal customs look down upon girls and women from riding bicycles as a mode of transportation and even exercise. A clampdown by authorities in women exercising their rights has led to a rise in bicycle clubs and empowerment programs in Khartoum, the capital. Correspondent Yasir Haroum has more on the defiant ones who continue to use their bicycle in Khartoum. Here are the Sudanese female cyclists initiative in Khartoum to area. The group holds educational courses and workshops related to female cyclists. Women are forbidden from riding bicycles in Sudan, a band that is related to hardline Islam. Most families I see that is riding a bicycle lead to showing the women body, which is not accepted by society. I'm the founder of the Sudanese Female Cyclist Group, which is a feminist community initiative that promotes cycling for everyone, but especially women and girls. I founded the group in late 2016. I rode a bicycle to Freedom Square, one of the open green areas in the centre of the capital, Khartoum. Many people were interested in biking, and that's where it all began. Many people, especially young women, told me it's the first time they'd seen a girl riding a bike in Sudan. The group started with a few women and has grown in Khartoum. It's also a human rights project, primarily to reduce the gender gap in public places and to promote interest in sports that were the exclusive preserve of men. On the busy street of Khartoum, the capital 28-year-old Salma Awad rides her bike she is working as a messenger, delivering orders to her customer in companies and shops, and also to home through his special application on Facebook. Awad is big about the peaceful of the bike riding while female. I ride my bike long distance for eight hours a day as part of my work. I usually cross three bridges. Sometimes I go through the capital. I get many problems and risks on the streets where I'm harassed by drivers. Sometimes they throw water bottles and stones too. So I use side streets and I'm chased by stray dogs. But biking for me means to be healthy. I help girls learn how to cycle. We'll ride across bridges and build our strength. And we'll keep doing this until society accepts the idea of women riding a bicycle. We are here, near the Khartoum International Airport, where Freedom Square is located. Here, many amateur cyclists from Sudanese Cyclist Federation gather every week to teach bicycle safety to both men and women. Ahmed Zibir, Deputy Secretary of Sudanese Cycling Federation, wants bicyclists to feel protected. Girls come to join the club where we teach them how to protect themselves on two levels. We show them how to protect themselves from harassment and follow traffic rules and guidelines. We accompany girls from the training area to their homes and teach them how to overcome bullying while riding a bike on the public road. There are no traffic laws for cyclists and we are now talking to the traffic police to make laws that preserve a cyclist's rights as well as to allocate special paths for bicycle users. Noha Mohsin, 
write her bike at sunrise, where she crosses one of the bridge to the city of Omdurman, where she is work as a teacher in the variety school. She has been commuting by a bicycle for eight years. She wants this form of transportation to catch on. The school where I work is in Omdurman city. It's an easy daily trip for me when I ride a bike. I saw some nice things. Sometimes I saw people look surprised. I've also faced difficulties and the lack of acceptance of people seeing a woman on a bike. Some of them denounce it and make inappropriate comments. Some of my students now own bicycles and ride them from their homes to school. I'm proud of that. I expect bicycles will become the main means of transportation in Sudan in the next five years. One of the old mosques, which is located in the commercial center of the capital, where people come to pray, many colorists and hardliners believe sport for women should not be allowed. Women riding bicycle on public road are considered as the matter that is violated Islamic tradition. Muhammad Abu Nur, teacher of the religious education, is big to Africa calling outside the mosque. Regarding women riding bicycles, it is written, Allah shall cure men imitating women and women imitating men. For women with mobility difficulties, they may use bicycles for persons with disabilities. But riding bicycles that show off women's attractions in public, they will have to do so in closed areas specifically for women and not near men's eyes. Women in Sudan lead regret campaign to defend the right to movement and rebuild or restriction them. Many support women in sports. Tuhinda Tijani is a member of Not Women Operation, a group that fights for women rights in Sudan. We in the No to Women's Oppression group are helping to raise awareness among girls and women to ride a bike in the streets. This is their right. We tell them they should be courageous and ignore the harassment, bullying and verbal violence while riding. In our society, there are many who denounce this sport. But under our initiative, we are calling for better conditions for women and encouraging girls how to fight for their rights. Despite this, women issue in Sudan remain one of the most neglected issues. Through law that is limited and restrict their movement, traditional Sudanese society view women who fight for their right in a negative light. Sudanese women use bicycling for transport to school, our to work, our to meet friends, and they say they will continue to fight for the right to bicycle. Reporting for RIFL, Africa Calling, this is Theater Harun, Khartoum, Sudan. We're almost at the end of our program, but we have a fabulous song selection for you from our sound engineer, Irwan Rome. Ezra Collective is a group of old-time jazz musicians in London. They fuse elements of Afrobeat, hip-hop, and soul to create their unique sound. They also do a lot of collaborations, and this song is called Life Goes On and features Sampa the Great, Zambian hip-hop artist.
Listen to this tune and you'll hear some sampling of Fela Kuti's classic album, Shakara Oloje, from 1972. Thanks for listening to episode one of Africa Calling. We're working on a new and improved Africa Calling for you, so stay tuned. We'll leave you with Ezra Collective and Sampa the Great. I'm Laura Angela Bagnetto. This episode was edited and recorded by Nicolas Doro and Erwan Rome. Goodbye for now. Yes, I don't take that. 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 I don't take that.